Pod, I'm Chris Hewitt and welcome to the latest in our series of spoiler special podcasts. This one is dedicated to the latest Disney Pixar movie. It is Lightyear. Oh yes indeed, now that Lightyear is available everywhere you can think of, it is available in cinemas. Well, maybe not so much in cinemas these days, but it's available on Disney+. Plus. It's available on DVD. It's available on Blu-ray. It's available on 4K. It's available everywhere. And so finally, we have convened here in the studio, myself and three colleagues of such lethal cunning, to talk about this movie to infinity and... Oh, what's the line? 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 Beyond. Beyond. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, yeah, I've forgotten that. Thanks. <laughs> Thanks a lot. Uh, and those three colleagues of such lethal cunning are... Oh, I hate autopilots. Uh, they are <laughs> Helen O'Hara. Hello. Ben Travis. Hello. And Amon Warman. Hello. How are you all? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm just, I'm excited to talk about a movie, uh, you know, which has a test flight whose result is critical to their team's future, who is forced to train a bunch of mm-hmm. newbies mm-hmm. for a dangerous mission. Wait, mm-hmm. wait a second. Is this another Top Gun Maverick spoiler special? Let's you know. do another Top Gun Maverick spoiler <laughs> special. <laughs> In 1985, wherever it was, Andy <laughs> saw Andy's mum saw a movie. It was her favourite movie. This 1986 uh, was Top Gun. Damn it, <laughs> close. But, you know, but hey ho, it's it's you're off by one year. It's not too bad. <laughs> uh, but yes, this is not a Top Gun Maverick spoiler special. This is a light year spoiler special. There are superficial similarities between the two. Of course, but this is a big old animated Pixar shindig. And uh, before we get into it, we're going to hear from the film's director, Angus McLean, and producer, Galen Sussman, who came over to London a couple of months ago, just before the movie came out in cinemas. And I sat down with them on Zoom for reasons, even though they were literally around the corner from me, <laughs> uh, on Zoom. And we had a good old natter about a great many things, including the film's thematic preoccupations. It's quite bold message, I would say, for an animated film that, that it's okay to fail, folks. It's okay to fail every now and again. Uh, and of course, sandwiches. A lot of sandwich chat in this one, actually. More than I anticipated, but but there you go. Here we go. Angus McLean and Galen Sussman. Do please enjoy. We are delighted to be joined on this light year spoiler special by the film's director, Angus McLean, and the film's producer, Galen Sussman. How are you both? Wonderful. Thank you. Yeah, great. Thank you. So there is a ton of stuff to get into with Lightyear. Uh, so the place I wanted to start with, which is a question I think that's going to be in everybody's lips, which is what is up with that sandwich? I haven't tried it yet, <laughs> but meat, bread, this, meat. Yeah. yeah. Well, the sandwich was a, an idea that we wanted to have to, a, a simple way to show that times had changed and that Buzz's knowledge of the dominant paradigm was, was outdated. And the sandwich seemed like the silliest way to do it in the sense that he his assumption about what a sandwich was, was not aligned with what the current thinking was and the idea that so much time had passed that he had never had a sandwich and and what a sandwich was was with the normalcy of that had changed yeah um this was come up this 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 came up because early on in the development of the film the, the first uh writer matt aldrich who was the writer on coco um he and he ended up leaving the project for just working on other stuff it was mm-hmm. totally amicable he was obsessed with sandwiches and he kept, he kept a running list of his favorite sandwiches of all time. And so based on his like 
discussion of the top five sandwiches he'd ever eaten and him going into amazingly like um, just terrific description that only a, a writer of his caliber could do off of that I'm like we should have a sandwich in the movie and then what would the sandwich be like in this movie and then that would be the inside out sandwich that's and then that just that rift between the two of us became the scene uh that you that you see and it was it's it it, it was always it kept moving around like that idea was always in there uh and the weird thing about it was at some point during the production of the film they made a sandwich like the the pixar uh a cafe made an official sandwich and delivered it to me as a surprise in the middle of a zoom which was <laughs> it was irritating because you know and you're in a zoom and then the, the door knocks and i'm like i'm in the meeting ah! and then <laughs> there's the the, the head of our, uh, our our prod team, she, she brings in the sandwich and it looks like a cartoon. Like it, it looks just like it does in the movie. And, uh, and, and then we all watched him eat it. It was fabulous. Well, no, first it was like, I'm like, that's great. And they're like, no, you got to have it. I'm like, I'm, I don't want to eat this disgusting sandwich in front of everybody. And so it was just like the movie where I, I'm like, I pick it up. And like, you don't have to eat. It. I'm like, no, this is really good. And I started like, it was, uh, it was quite tasty. What it was, it was like a thick piece of bread with, um, I would say it's, oh, one and a half times the regular thickness. So I think ultimately it wasn't that much less bread, but, uh-huh. <laughs> and then there was like a cream cheese on both sides, then layers of like long cut cucumber. And on top of that was uh, two pieces of ham, a piece of ham on either side. Now, it was very tasty and it, and it did, I can still remember it. Like it's a memorable sandwich. The problem was, <laughs> and I think this is the reason why it's probably not going to catch on, especially for people that are, on the computer at the same time is you become instantly inundated with yeah. meat juice as is the joke in the movie. Yeah. So the, the sandwich came with like a little wet nap. So I'm wet napping. I'm like, I'm like doing it carefully. Like where I'm, I'm using one hat. I'm trying to, to get all of the rubbing alcohol, whatever is like juicifying this wet nap to like neutralize the meat juice. And it just didn't work. And so then I'm like, I'm, I'm holding, I'm, in, I'm still in the meeting. I got my hands up like I'm just ready for surgery. And I'm like, I got to hold on. Let me go wash my hands. And so like I exit using elbow first, like opening the door and like running yeah. down the hall. Cause I don't want, I just, I want to minimize the amount of like meat juice around the, the workplace. So I go to the, the I, uh, I wash my hands like three times. I come back. Everything's fine. Meeting continues. And I could still smell. I could, I could it just, it, you yeah. couldn't, like, it took about a day to get rid of that smell. Note the OCD nature of Angus McLean because Look, he I refuses just, to lick his own fingers no, after I, eating I, the sandwich. I think I didn't <laughs> no, lick you, it. You know, you, you well, didn't. I've been using the, the mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> I just, it just felt unsanitary. Yeah, yeah I, I know what you mean. Galen, have you had one of these sandwiches? Have you tried? No, absolutely not. Okay. Are you kidding? <laughs> I don't eat meat. I'm I'm free and clear. Oh, that's okay. But you could you could still have you could have you know you could have bread. You could have you could have lettuce bread and cheese, cucumber. Bread. I would yeah, bread totally cheese. have a bread cheese bread sam or cheese bread cheese sandwich. Sign me up. Okay, let's let's see if we can make Absolutely. that happen. Uh, cheese bread sandwich, please, from Miss Sussman. <laughs> that'd, be, that'd be great. Um, can we get one of those real quick? Um, because I, I think that I think the the uh, the sandwich is uh, really fun because it it it's it's one of those things that when you see the future in movies that it tends to be utopian. It tends to be a society that gets nothing wrong and here you have a society that quite clearly you know this is an evolution in food but they have got it horribly horribly wrong and that <laughs> in, a, in a way 
gets at one of the the themes, one of the themes I took from the movie, and uh, uh, and it plays into the time jumps that happen as well. Which is, this is a movie that has a very very interesting message, which is it's okay to fail, and it's okay mm-hmm. to learn from your failures. It's okay to accept your failures. That I thought that was a really really interesting message. It's not the entire message of the movie, but it's certainly there. Was that kind of where you started with this movie? Did you start with the themes? Did you start with the messages that you that you wanted to convey? It's hard to start with theme for me, but I think the thing we started with was uh, the how to how to deal with the passage of time. The whole time jump thing is based around our production cycle and making an animated film. Uh, you'll notice it takes us about four to five years to make an animated film. Mm-hmm. And Buzz jumps in time about four to five years when he's going through the time jumps. And the idea was, the idea for doing a Buzz Lightyear film was like the, the was was I knew we wanted to do that. And then it was like, well, what are we going to tell? Like, mm-hmm. what's the sci-fi idea? And at Pixar, they're very much interested in, for good reason, what's the emotional hook that relates to your personal life? And uh, for me, what I'd known for the past twenty-five years was working at Pixar. And there's an isolating nature to working on very long-term projects. So I noticed whenever I would go home to my hometown of Portland, Oregon, I'd go home about once a year. And I kept noticing things were changing over those times. And you would see new, new buildings going up, buildings coming down, new restaurants, old restaurants gone. And everyone seemed to be getting older. And no one seemed to care that everything was changing. Only that memory of what my hometown was only existed in my mind and the people that were my age. In fact, in fact, there was uh, there's a coworker, uh, a friend of mine. She and I are from from Portland, from or the same age, same era, and so we ha- often would have these discussions about the Portland of our youth that doesn't exist anymore. Mm. And so that's really where the idea for having a people stuck out of time that have a mem- a collective memory for a place that doesn't exist. And it was from that germ of the idea that all the rest of the story sprung from. So as far as the failure aspect of it, um, that, that seemed, that was personal in that um, I'm very much a perfectionist and the sense of failure is a concern, I would say. Yeah. And it's interesting. I don't like it when you say it, but I'll admit it for for a podcast in the UK. Sure. <laughs> Galen, do you concur? Gonna... <laughs> I, yes. yes <laughs> Galen, what, do you, what do you think? Yes. I don't. It has its virtues. I mean, the movie looks yes. amazing, but yes, uh, absolutely. But... <laughs> I'm still sitting here, dude. I, clearly, it doesn't bother me in the least. I don't have to live with it. Just work with you. <laughs> but it's also about a, a control freak as well, and this is something that I, I very much connected with. <laughs> as anyone who has worked yeah. with me on these podcasts will know that I'm very much someone who can't let go. And you know, and you know, when you when you, it's about it's about Buzz learning to work with a team, uh, which I thought was was interesting as well. And and that presumably also speaks to the environment you find yourself in at, at Pixar. Yeah, you're 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 connected to people that you have experience with. I would say. It has been pointed out that there are some similarities in the relationships that Buzz and Alicia have that Galen and I share. Uh, and then, you know, you're stuck with a young crew to try to do the same thing you were doing before. And, yeah. you know, you have this thing that goes past. I mean, like there's, there's a lot of 
I mean, we're really not that creative. It's mostly just like mapping on like a sci-fi skin onto our everyday life here, I guess. <laughs> now that I think about it. Uh, and Galen, is that true? Is is your relationship Buzz and, and Alicia, essentially? Yeah, sometimes it definitely is. I think we're fighting the bugs. Yeah, That's we definitely, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And I'm a terrible aim. But, um, <laughs> you know, the, the great thing about working with Angus is that he knows what he wants. Right. There's nothing worse than than producing somebody who doesn't know what they want. And so they burn the crew out searching for that thing. Um, Angus very much knows what he wants. So that that's great fun because it's more about how do we get as much of that vision onto the screen as we possibly can within the budget that we have, which is a much more entertaining kind of job to do then. Absolutely. Going, oh, would you please just make up your mind? That, that's that's not nearly as fun. <laughs> I can imagine. And uh, but but Buzz is really interesting in this film because of that. That he would call it a drive to complete the mission. That the mission must be yes. complete. Must finish the mission. But mm-hmm. I think other people can see it as a man who's running away from his problems. And and it's really interesting that you know he is someone who. You know, he goes away for four years, comes back, gets to see Alicia live her life in little snapshots. That's an there's an emotional impact to him, obviously, but he still chooses to run away from it. Can you talk about the discussions behind that and behind nailing this character and and finding a way into this character who we've previously just seen as as a very very different toy in the Toy Story movies? Yeah, I think. Well, one of the first challenges we had was once I was like, hey, let's make a Buzz Lightyear movie. Now, I've been connected to Buzz for a long time, and I feel like I knew him pretty well. Then when I sat down and rewatched Toy Story again, I was like, I don't know if anyone can handle an hour and a half of like, I alone know the weapon's only weakness. Like there was such a (laughs) very one note kind of charge the hill aspect of Buzz. Yeah. So I think that there's. There was a thing. There's the thing I was struggling with in that I could see a version of the film that was very much like Buzz Lightyear is here to save the day and everything goes right. And I feel like I've seen that movie a lot and I didn't know what we would gain out of just making a fairly straightforward hero's journey story. But I did think there was an opportunity about a guy who did this job, was really good at his job and wasn't thinking about the future. And in the beginning, the to infinity and beyond is very much a let's just keep rolling. Let's just do this thing. It's just the attitude you have when you're a little younger. And I guess I'm dancing around the fact that this is a story written by older people. But uh, there's very much a thing where it's like this decision about what do you do with your life? When do you choose to acknowledge that you have a limited time left on Earth? And the movie is essentially buzz gets a family that was always the idea like always wanting buzz to get a family didn't want to have buzz surrounded by small children uh uh you know in the second act but i didn't want to thunderdome it but the um (laughs) but there's something to me about ultimately buzz chooses to die and that in in this and i say die in the sense that he chooses to accept the finite nature of life in the beginning buzz is very much like with alicia like we're going to keep riding this so we can and alicia recognizes like okay well things are changing i need to like I, I, the situation is what it is. I need to change or I need to adapt to that. And I'm going to choose to have a life. And so Buzz witnesses a life that he doesn't have. Not that he dislikes that. It's just that he doesn't feel like he's earned that. He doesn't feel like he's 
is a, allows himself love because he has not completed the mission. And so there's very much a use this point. I feel like at a certain age, we're like, what do you want to, how do you want to spend your time that you have left? Like, what are your goals? Mm. And you can be the most driven. You could be the most successful, most focused person, but you need to sometimes assess like what, what, what do we want to spend our time doing here? I guess. And so that's what buzz does ultimately by the end of it is he becomes the mentor that he had. Alicia was his mentor. And he learned a lot from her and he was able to, and she was able to see something great in him. And yet he didn't want to disappoint her. And he felt the whole time that he was disappointing her by, by his failures. But by the end of the film, we have this wonderful thing where he becomes the mentor uh, for her granddaughter in the same way that, that, you know, he is now the master or the, whatever the, the teacher. <laughs> yeah. There's, there's some sort of star Wars uh, metaphor there. That's a little too early in the morning for totally now, but uh but, you know, it is, it's a very delicate balance, though, if you think about it, right? Because what you're trying to say is um, everyone makes mistakes, as you've pointed out, and um, you have to learn how to live with those mistakes and move on. At the same time, you don't want to be saying, oh, it doesn't matter if you make a mistake. You don't want to say, don't, don't own your mistakes, right? And it's the same thing. It's like you, you want to say, um, live in the present and grasp and enjoy and love that which you have right now. But you also don't want in the same sentence to say goals don't matter because, of course, goals do matter. Right. So it's it is this delicate, delicate dance that you need to do about saying, yes, the future is important. Yes, the past is important, but not at the expense of the present. Right. Yeah, absolutely. That's sort of the, the dance to do. Indeed. And and of course, there's also a cautionary tale within the movie itself about obsessing about your mistakes and yes. and getting caught up in that and getting corrupted by that and and that is you know the 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 twist with with older buzz uh floored me so can you talk about about that where where that idea came from the 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 true origin of the evil emperor zerg yeah we used to have i mean in toy story 2 zerg being buzz's father it's hard to like put it's hard to put, take everyone in the Wayback Machine and, and pitch the idea of how that felt in the room back in 1999. And how it felt in the room was like, ha it's like Star Wars, isn't that clever? And it was a totally different media landscape. And that, that was a novel and hilarious idea back then that aged. Um, that aged. Aged very quickly <laughs> and, not, and not in a positive way. And I feel like people internally felt like it wasn't quite, it felt a little like it was cheap. Yeah. It was like it was like uh, using your you know using your furniture to heat the house in the winter and you have nothing to sit on in the summer you know um, the so what, what so with this film my first thought was like well we got to be we got to be really rigid to that we got to try the father so you tried it out the problem with the having the father be Zerg was that you had to spend your entire first act setting up the father. And there wasn't enough time to like make him. It was not going to work with the running time that we had. Mm. And looking back at Star Wars, spoiler: when uh, Darth Vader is revealed to be Luke's father, it's at the end of the second movie. It's like right in the middle of the second act of the three film trilogy. Mm-hmm. And there's no, dis- there's very little discussion of the father in the first one. So anyway, it just meant like we we didn't have the running time. And although we tried it out, it just didn't work. Additionally, uh, Ad Astra had come out and it was the same kind of idea and it didn't in, you could, you could see where ultimately what it ends up in is you have a, have a, you have to have a confrontation with a father figure 
where they fight to the death or whatever. And you're like, you know, in, in, in the movie, like, oh, Buzz is going to fight Zerk. That's the obligatory scene. And I don't know how much I'm rooting for Buzz to defeat his father. Like, I have a good relationship with my father. Like, I don't, I, I, I just, I didn't, it, it, yeah. didn't, it didn't really track for me as something emotional. Now, when we were getting into this idea of obsession and, and mistakes, there, w- there was a really interesting idea there. Like, Buzz needs to fight a version of himself that wants the opposite thing that he wants. And so we came up with this idea of how clever would it be if he's fighting himself who represents what he wanted in the beginning of the movie. And he never let that go. Basically what would happen if Buzz never met Izzy? And so that's what we see in the flashback is Buzz never meets Izzy. And because he doesn't meet Izzy, his life doesn't change. And he keeps going around and around and around in circles. And to me, there was something really poetic about, how important it is the people that shape our lives and how left to our own devices without that connectivity, we're unable to get out of our own way. And you'll notice that buzz doesn't old buzz doesn't interact with anybody. He has no friends or any feedback. Mm. It's just him living in his own mind. Socks is uh, an echo chamber. Like socks isn't going to provide a, a kind of pushback for him emotionally, but old buzz is who buzz was at the beginning of the film. And left to left to fester for fifty years. That's what it, that that's what it was. You have uh, James Brolin as the the voice of Older Buzz as well. Mm-hmm. Did you did you talk about having Chris Evans do what he did at the end of Endgame and do his best Joe Biden? <laughs> I thought about it and I asked Chris about it. I was like, "Is that you?" He's like, "Yeah." I did. Originally, there you know, there was some there were maybe get someone else, but like I tried it and I totally did it. And I thought I thought about it, but I. I I was worried that you would hear it in Zerg and oh. you would, it would tip it too soon. Yes. And I think old person voice, like it's the perfect amount of running time in, in end game. Uh, but I think that I, I don't know. I've, I've, I kind of wanted it to be slightly, a slightly different character. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I think you'll root to it more if you is crazy old guy. James really does this really wonderful you know, I'm so inviting and warm and hospitable, and then goes just a little bit more, and I'm so evil. Like it's just he. I, I don't know how. It, I love that. I think that's special. <laughs> yeah, he's really great, and the fact that it reinforces the fact that you know this is a very, very, very different version of Buzz. It, it, it might as well be a, a different person. But I love the idea that that when the, when you have a villain that you can really. You question when you watch it. It's like, what decision would I make? Mm. Would I do what? The, like, I don't know. I, maybe I would go along with him, right? It, there's something. I love that kind of villain that makes you walk out and go, hmm. Would I do the right thing in those circumstances? I'm not sure. One of the one of the best compliments was I got was my daughter saw the film for the first time this week at the premiere, and she said, "I'm glad he chose to to not go with." the old version of himself. Okay. And I was, that was a real, I was like, well, that's great. Like that's a, I'm glad that it was even, you were thinking about it, but in, in thinking about what villains want or the, the power that he unlocks with the ability to break time. And it's actually, as my son pointed out, interdimensional time travel. It's not, it's actually branching off in a way. Anyway, he had, yeah. he, it made sense I'm to sure him. It's Buzz Lightyear in the um, multiverse of madness. Is. It's basically a multiverse, but <laughs> He has he has unlocked the power, and that kind of power in movies is corrupting. In the sense, if you think about the Ring of Power and Lord of the Rings, 
or uh, the, the Infinity Gauntlet. I'm sure that Infinity mm-hmm. Gauntlet behind you that's made out of Lego, if it actually snapped, it would turn to a million pieces. But the uh, the there's something about, I've always liked in that, in whatever the powerful um, thing is, there's always a huge drawback. Like you can't, if you're going to use a cloaking device on the uh, you know Klingon Bird of Prey, can't fire, or it's going to ultimately, you know, leave some sort of tachyon signature or something like that that can easily be intercepted by a a, a clearly modified photon torpedo. Uh, So I think that there's something about that I wanted to have whatever power they use be something that was like really detrimental. Yeah. Like if you think about sometimes, like some of the most interesting things is, is anything dealing with a finite resource. Like for example, I believe Spawn, when Spawn was first became spawn like he had like a limited amount he could actually use his power there was a countdown to when he would die right. or to yeah. think about how i mean the ring of power is such a good example no, there's there's one there's one there's one like star trek uh, uh villain they had the ability to to tran- to teleport interdimensionally but it, it ultimately crimped their their lifespan this this is like uh, uh, D space nine. I can't chapter and verse it, but the point of it is, I wanted it to be uh, uh, something that was ultimately not healthy for you. One of the reasons why uh, this is just a very very quick aside, but one of the reasons why the revelation of Older Buzz uh, made my jaw drop was because I was thinking about who it could be from emerging from within that Zerg cocoon, and my money for. Ten seconds before we saw Older Buzz was on Featheringham Stan. Was that ever a consideration? Yeah, yeah uh, no. I mean, that would be that would be that. That's the Incredibles turn. Is right. that you'd, you'd have you rejected the rookie and he yeah. became your largest enemy. Yeah. But the thing about the, this kind of movie, the person that the, is the revealed bad guy is the person that you're introduced that uh, that you like the most. Yeah. Usually it's a parental figure, like in Aliens, they have the spoiler alert, Burke. Burke literally shows up carrying Jonesy to deliver it to Ripley. So you're 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 meeting them in a way that you like them. So it tracks also for Buzz to be a character that we like and enjoy now that we're struggling with. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the problem with Featheringston is he's not like what's his axe to grind? It's not emotional. It's like, well, you didn't, you didn't, you know, the, you're getting into this. A very similar track to Incredibles. So okay, it could, have been, it could have been. There's very few people. I mean, it could have been. Originally, there was the the Alicia character. There was a thing where it was. They were both flying. They're both. They were both like pilots, or there was pre. The bottom line of it was like, who do you want Buzz to fight? Like, if you're going to have Buzz in a fist fight, who would it, would it, is it satisfying to have Alicia be in the in the suit? No, good point. Yeah, I don't know. I don't want that. <laughs> Is it the dad? Not really. So it always got to be down to like, is it surprising? Yes. Is it satisfying? Absolutely not. Good point. And so that, that it's a, it's a tricky situation. So we, we don't have a, a lot of time left, but I wanted to talk about Alicia uh, as well, because she's such a fascinating character. She's in many ways, the, the heart of the movie. Yes. Yes. Um, she's obviously also a gay character who's in a same sex mm-hmm. relationship, which is, which is something that's this huge, uh, for, for a, a Pixar movie. Can you guys mm-hmm. talk about that and about crafting, uh, crafting her as a character? Well, I think the challenge of it again, I, that you've spoken very eloquently about is, is, is the, the challenge you have with, with her as a voice, ca- like the voice casting for that. I think it really comes from that. 
right? You definitely, Alicia, Alicia's a strong presence, right? She's, um, she's his commander and she's the leader of this entire colony of people. And so you need that strength, but she's also his mentor, his best friend, um, and um, a person with great sensitivities. And so you need that warmth. So it's, you start with that balance. Um, and then, well, there were several things that were going on. One is that the, we we never set out to tell a love story, right? That yeah. wasn't what this Between, movie for was. Between Buzz. For, for Buzz, Buzz yeah. right. Um, what we really wanted to tell was a story of, um, you know, learning to have a family, learning to cooperate, learning to, you know, to work with other people and to live in the moment, but not unrequited love. And if you took that one step further, when when Buzz meets Izzy in the second act, um, if there was any sense at all that he had had other kinds of feelings for Alicia, then what are you saying? Is he like trying to make it work with her granddaughter? That mm. kind of gets icky, right? Very much just so. don't want to go there at all. So um, it really worked in terms of a story sense, in terms of being able to set up the relationship, one more of a sibling relationship um, and a mentor relationship to make sure that there was absolutely no possibility of any other kind of relationship. So that, you know, from that sense, from a story perspective, it was very, um, it was a, it was sort of an easy way of saying, that's not what the story is about. Um, and then of course, what she represents for the bulk of that first act is a life well lived, the life yeah. of love and family. And so we really just wanted to show her in that relationship, a lasting, loving relationship that he just wasn't having. Um, so it all played out in, in a way that was very supportive of the story that we were trying to tell. And then, of course, you know, it also, we, we, do like our films to reflect the world around us because the more people can see themselves in our films, the more they identify with the films and they in the film speak to them. Right. So for all of these reasons, it was really just a, a perfect um, you know, collection of of reasons to really support the Alicia character that we built. Well, well, guys, uh, I've got to let you go. There's a million things I still have uh, I still love to talk to you about. Uh, for example, you know, Lee. The various origins of of the of Buzz's catchphrase is to infinity beyond the the, the the surrender string, all these things. But perhaps I'll answer them time. really really quickly. Okay, to infinity beyond, we just had to have a good we didn't have a good place for it, and but we did have the finger thing first, uh -huh. and then it was su suggested that we break it up there. It was just like it came to us late because that was a really hard thing was figuring out how that that was seated in the story. Uh, the surrender string is we couldn't have any um, we couldn't have them with the wings because it would solve too many problems. Uh, so I just thought it'd be cool to have uh, the, a pull string thing that would turn into basically like an airbag uh, that was patterned after the, the the Pathfinder, I think, had some sort of like way that it slowed down when it landed on Mars that was inflatable kind of raspberry droplets uh, kind of thing. So that was based around an, a NASA thing. Well, I think we are at a time, Angus and Galen, but it has been an absolute pleasure. But thank you. for right, Great questions. Great questions. Thank you. Okay, so that was Angus McLean and Galen Sussman, and now it is time for us to talk about Lightyear. Lightyear, the worst. It's a <laughs> Naked Gun reference. Uh -huh, okay. Not not a indication of the quality of the film, but we should probably start with the quality of the film because mm. it's an interesting thing, in that this is being painted. Lightyear is being painted as one of the few, not flops that Pixar has had, but certainly 
underachievers. If you look at the boxofficemojo.com uh, stats for it, it's taken just over $200 million at the worldwide box office. Now, that is flop territory for a movie of this size. But of course, we still have to, even now that we're, mm-hmm. air quotes, out of the pandemic, we still have to apply a little bit of post-pandemic logic to numbers. Not all numbers, because clearly these things like Spider-Man No Way Home and Top Gun Maverick are, are performing brilliantly. But do you think the pandemic had something to do with the underperformance of this film? Or do you think people just didn't know what it was? Or, or what's, the, what's the dealio? I the think- marketing was confusing. I mean, which is silly because the first like opening ten seconds of this cleared up very quickly in terms of what this film is and how it relates to the Toy Story universe. But I, I remember going into this film, some people were confused about where exactly and what exactly this film was in relation to that. I think everyone was confused yeah. about what it was. Yeah, I think that that's a big part of it. I think the fact that it was going to drop fairly quickly on Disney Plus and that people now expect it to drop fairly quickly on Disney Plus may also have played a role. Because they've done that now with several Pixar's in a row, I think people are maybe just like, I'll wait around and see it, see it pretty soon. Especially if you have a lot of kids and, you know, you're looking at multiple cinema tickets, that might be a factor. And then, yes, the pandemic still. That said, this is a massive underperformance. If you think that, you know, Toy Story 3 made a billion dollars and this made 200 million, that's a, mm-hmm. that's a big come down. Even if it's not technically a Toy Story film, it's still very much in that, in that ilk. I think that's partly the issue that beyond the confusion of like, what is this film? That line that they put at the start of the film itself that they didn't put in any of the marketing that was like, this is the film that Andy watched, it. There you go, that's it, it's done. They didn't have that in the marketing, but I think also the fact that it's Toy Story, but it's kind of not. It's Buzz Lightyear, but it's kind of not. He looks different, he sounds different. It's a different kind of tone to your typical Toy Story adventure. Massively Mm different. I think it... It just kind of made it feel tangential rather than the start of a big new thing as a, hey, what if we did a bunch of big space adventures with this guy? It felt like a weird little spin-off yeah. rather than a mm-hmm. big new idea. I think it's I think it's underperformance is actually it, it's it's sad for a number of reasons. Um I'm I'm heavily invested in the financial success of, of Pixar. <laughs> uh, sure. <laughs> no, I've I've no shares of Pixar. I wish I did. Uh or indeed Disney. But you know, you, you you always want them to do well because then it's a, it's a studio that by and large rewards originality and by and large rewards creativity. And I would hope that something like the recently announced Inside Out 2, which feels a bit like a sure thing, isn't a reaction to the underperformance. I mean, we could probably just say the word failure. I mean, it, that does seem harsh, actually. But, you know, the underperformance of, of this movie, that they've gone, oh, God, this thing didn't do well. And now we've got this other thing coming out next year, Elemental we don't know if that's going to be a performer. Right, quick, inside out. I know that's not how things work. I know I'm, mm-hmm. I'm being very, very um, uh, performative here in a way. But, um, you know, it does feel a little bit like, get the sure things out, get the sure things out. What can we do? But this has been their way for a long time, hasn't it? They've they've had a, a sequel-based model for at least the last 10 years, longer really. Yeah. With yeah. With, a, with a heavy reliance on sequels. What was um, the first one? Was it Cars? No, it wasn't Well, well Toy, Toy Story 2. Yeah. Mm. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and look, you know, no disrespect because some of their sequels have been among the great sequels, namely Toy Story 2 and I would say Toy Story 3. But at the same time, given that they are the studio that we turn to for originality, that sometimes has felt like, uh, you know, a disappointing thing, especially when you get into Cars 3. Um, hey, Cars 3 is the Cars best Cars, okay, Cars but, movie. But Cars, Cars 2 th- is not good. Come on. Cars okay. 2 is not good. So, okay. uh, 
you you do you know you want Pixar to be taking those wild swings. You want them to be mm. doing these big things. And this to me actually seemed in some ways like a good compromise between the commercial realities of we need a, a familiar brand name and we want to do something different. So on paper, I can absolutely see this being a sensible idea. I think they just needed to make it really clear what it was. And I think they, as we've discussed, they didn't do that. Mm. And then I think the film itself is is such an odd beast. I really like some of the things that it does. I really, really like some of the, some of the themes that it has and some of the decisions it takes. But equally, I think there are ways in which it it just doesn't work for me, and I'm 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 intrigued that we get to talk about those. Absolutely, we will get to talk about this in a second. But I think it, it's underperformance is the the, the the disappointment at the box office, or whatever you want to call it, flop, failure, <laughs> choose your weapon, uh, whatever you want to say. It's disappointing to me in a way because this is. It, it is a bit of a wild swing, uh, in a way, to do something that's so tonally different from the Toy Story movies and present this this Buzz Lightyear origin story. We'll get into that in, in, in depth, hopefully. But it's disappointing to me because it's done badly and I now feel that we're going to be denied a number of these things. Not that I'm chomping at the bit for a Lightyear 2. I'm not, necessarily. But it would have been nice to then have a, I don't know, a Woody movie and somehow do a mm. do something along those lines or do something like, I have no idea whether you could do like a, a Rex movie or a, or a <laughs> Ham movie or Mr. and Mrs. Potato Head movie. But, but you know what I mean? Oh my God, I, like WandaVision, but Mr. and Mrs. Potato Head? <laughs> yes. But, but I don't watch. think that any of those would work in the same way because Buzz did feel like a toy based on a movie. Like yeah. that felt like a real kind of, credible origin story for him whereas those are all just toys that we know exist in the world you know mm. so I, I feel like it's a really clever one to do because we know Woody came from Woody's Roundup but that's again that's a slightly you yeah, know, but different you, little thing you, but you could have <laughs> well, you could have a Tarantino combine Woody's Roundup with Bounty Law and do like a kind oh, of God. <laughs> do, do a big up mashup but you could have found it you know I would love to have seen that kind of Pixarized western with with a Woody character or with the origin of Woody. So that, like that the, f- been... the first 10 minutes of uh, Toy Story 3. Yeah, kind of thing. <laughs> that would have, be cool. have been a ton of fun. But, uh, but you know, hey-ho, it, it, it's, it's done what it's done. Maybe it's doing gangbusters on, on Disney+. Plus. But uh, one quick thing before I want to bring him on in uh, on this, one quick thing about that. You're right, Helen, the last three Pixar movies, uh, mm-hmm. Soul, Luca and Turning Red, all debuted on Disney+. Plus. Mm-hmm. I am glad to see that the next Pixar movie, Elemental, is not going to be a Disney Plus debut. At least, as far as we know, right now, things may change. But it just feels a little bit disappointing. It feels almost like they just backed the wrong horse in a way. Mm. And maybe, maybe you're right. Maybe they had coached audiences out of Pixar movie equals cinema. And so they just went, okay, we'll just, we'll just wait. Or why is it not appearing on opening day? Oh, I can't be arsed. I'll wait for it. So maybe it's done gangbusters on, on Disney Plus, but I hope to me so. that's a real yeah. shame of of their policy. From what I hear, it has done very well on Disney Plus since going on streaming. So maybe audiences are just coming to it late. Yeah. 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 I mean, all those films you mentioned, I wish that they had got an opportunity mm-hmm. to be seen on the big screen. Because that is what you're talking about in terms of wild swings, creativity, mm-hmm. originality. Those films yeah. have that, and they feel essential maybe in a way this it. film doesn't. <laughs> maybe not Luca. Hey, oh, maybe Luca's really Luca's a lot of fun, but Wild yeah. Swings originality, I'm not... Aww. Oh, I don't have know. you I seen that. a merman on a bike before? <laughs> no, you have not. Yes, I have. Yeah. You were a liar, sir. <laughs> Those films just feel more essential 
and different in the way this film doesn't, which is not to say this film doesn't have creativity. As, as you say, there are some things which I'm excited to get into here, but it's based on that existing IP, that character that many people already all know and love, whereas those other three films weren't. All right. Well, let's talk about that uh, that opening. Those, those opening few words that start the movie. And I feel that if they had... It's interesting, you go back and look at the marketing and it's kind of all been there from the from the off. Mm-hmm. They just never really got it as succinctly phrased as the opening of this movie does, uh, which is in 1995, a young boy named Andy saw a movie. Uh, this <laughs> it became his favourite movie. Mm-hmm. This is the the movie that he saw, essentially. I've managed to fuck that up completely, but that's basically what it was. And I just think that if they had said that right from the off, people would have gone, oh, because remember whenever this was first announced and we didn't know what it was when we were talking about the podcast, what mm-hmm. is this? Is this, is this, this, okay, so it's the real life man that this, that Buzz Lightyear was based on. It was, like a yeah, white some, stuff style. Yeah, some of that was, that was fairly quickly cleared up and it was fairly quickly made clear that it was a fictional character that then the toy was based on. But it wasn't clear if it was a 90s movie, a TV show, you know, what era it came from, what kind of thing it was. And I think that, again, could have been clearer in the marketing. I also think, and this is one of my big bugbears with this movie, mm-hmm. No effort has been made to make this feel like a 90s sci-fi movie. No mm-hmm. effort whatsoever. Nothing about this no. feels like a 90s sci-fi movie. And I kind of wish that it had done a little bit. I'm not asking for a recreation of freaking Lost in Space, although I like Lost in Space. I saw it several times in the cinema. But what? You're the one. I'm the one. I am the one. Danger, but, danger, Helen O'Hara. But, there, you know, there is a style, there is a tone, there is something there that you could have recreated, given how lovingly they recreated the boy bands of the 2000s, given how lovingly they created, you know, Italy in 1950s, why are we completely ignoring what the 1990 sci-fi movement looked like? Yeah, I, yeah, I, it's one of the things I have many, many questions I was going to ask uh, Angus McLean and Galen Sussman, as you can see mm-hmm. here. Did you approach this movie as if it were a live action movie made in the early 90s? Mm-hmm. It's just I never got around to it. I was too busy banging on about sandwiches. Mm-hmm. But, you know, hey, oh, <laughs> we are where we are. Uh, it's interesting to me, like, it's not even clear in the film whether it's an animated movie from the 1990s or a live action movie from the 1990s. Is it part mm-hmm. of a franchise I, or is it the first film in a franchise? Mm, I believe just from your interview that what they seem to imply there is that this is the live action film and also reading about it online it seems to be this is the live action film and that the Buzz Lightyear cartoons are then the cartoon spin-off gotcha. from this mm-hmm. Buzz so, Lightyear of Star Command is yes, that what it was exactly. called? Yes yeah. exactly and those are obviously also up on Disney and stuff and which might be also why people are conditioned to look for this on Disney they're thinking this is connected directly to those which it kind of isn't and I think that's where in those, the whole Zerg is your father thing is still canon, but that's obviously a kind of softened down version of maybe what's in the film, mm-hmm. which I'm sure we'll get to. All right. Do you want to get to it now? Sure. Yeah. What Why do we not? think? Okay, there's a big old twist here. Uh, it's a big old retconny mm-hmm. twist. If you're if you're bothered in any way, shape, or form about Toy Story continuity, <laughs> <laughs> which I, you've assembled a group of four people here who very much care about, I'm that. slightly worried about this uh, <laughs> because I, by and large, couldn't give a shit. So I'm okay with it. But what about you guys? Were you were you f- infuriated when Serg turned out not to be Buzz's dad? but Buzz himself. Was that a Buzz kill or was it a Buzz generator? I thought that was clever, actually. Me too. I didn't 
I didn't precisely see it coming. I thought they were going to do something different with Zerg. And I didn't think it was going to be his father because his father then would have been established at any point previous in mm. the film. Um, but I didn't see coming what it was going to be. I thought it might be like the rookie or somebody he had I kind of wronged or dismissed. Because yeah. the rookie's Bill Hader. Yeah. As well. And the rookie just disappears. Just disappears, just does nothing else. So I thought maybe it would be something like that, some character we'd seen before who would come back in some way. Um, and And I didn't see that coming. And I thought that was clever that he has to basically defeat the worst side of his own nature really to to kind of win the day in the end and do the right thing, if you will. Forgive <laughs> reference to another space film. He's got um, the right stuff, you might. He has the right <laughs> stuff. Um, but yeah, he's, it's, it's a, it, so I thought that was clever and I thought it was kind of close enough to the idea of Zerg being his father that like I say, that could be a kiddified version of what they actually do here. Mm. Yeah, I thought it was a, a really interesting idea and that felt connected enough, as Helen said, to the idea of it being himself, but it being his dad. I thought there was enough connective tissue there. The thing to me that it just spoke to in this film at large is that it is a weird hodgepodge of like the middle third of the film is quite kiddie. It's very, very straight up space adventure, not much challenging stuff for older audiences. Whereas the opening of the film of you're skipping every four years and every time you come back, everyone's got older, you keep making the wrong choice. Mm. It's quite a grown up idea. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And then again at the end, him finding out that Zerg is him from the future who made lots of bad choices and having to wrestle with that dark part of yourself. Again, quite a grown up idea that doesn't really feel like it gels with the kiddie adventure stuff. So yeah. as an adult watching this film, I thought it was an interesting idea that kind of played with the continuity without outright breaking it. But I was like, who is this for? Is this for the kids to get introspective about who their potential future selves yeah. might be and how they make the right choice? Mm. It felt interesting but weird, if like a lot of the maybe lesser Pixar movies. Like The Good Dinosaur... It's oh. not bad. Oh. It's interesting, but it's not weird. Bad. It's amazing. <laughs> it's got some really good oh, stuff. Oh, you're in the it. one. <laughs> <laughs> but again, that's one where it's like you're watching it going, who is this for? Is this for yeah. like adults who want to see some weird emotional stuff, or is it for kids who want a dinosaur adventure? But I guess yeah. if you're a six year old, right, and you are massively into Buzz Lightyear because you've seen a Toy Story, mm. maybe all the Toy Stories. Yeah, I don't think this film's for you. I think you watch this movie going, what, what, I don't know what this is. I don't know who this is. I'm not connected to this. Totally, yeah. it feels, it looks beautiful. Mm, looks yeah. incredible. Yeah. But mm -hmm. if I'm six years old, I'm not sure that I'm getting all that stuff. And I think I'm probably a little bored. I, 20 I th minutes in. Yeah, I think it's it's one of these cases where Pixar hasn't precisely married the entertaining kids with the big th thematic stuff yeah. and we know that they can do that brilliantly I mean Inside Out for me being the absolute pinnacle up not very far behind Wally, not very far behind that but uh, Toy Story even but but this one it seems like the two are at odds with each other to quite a large degree what they're trying to say and do and with, with the character and with you know these big ideas which again in no 90s movie none <laughs> certainly not for kids with with this kind of wacky space adventure and these wacky characters there, there's no real you know, unison between the two. I did really like the twist. Uh, I'm not, uh, I really like the Toy Story movies. I don't mind them playing around with it in the context of this movie because it's so different from uh, what has come before. And as Helen mentioned, how it informs Buzz's overall arc, I think is really, really clever. In regards to the 90s of it all, while it would have been nice to definitely get a bit more of that flavor, it is interesting in that 
this film is apparently taking place in the 90s. The representation <laughs> in both lesbian and black representation in the 90s was not, not a bit like this. <laughs> so that's at least one benefit of watching it in 2022. That's true. That That's true. Yeah. It feels like a movie that's been made now and it's just kind of yeah. gone, oh, this was made in 1995. Yeah. But what they could have done then is had it be Andy with his own kid taking his kid to see the Buzz Lightyear movie because he as a kid loved Buzz Lightyear as I think part of the aim and the audience for this movie is people who mm. grew up on Toy Story and now have their own kids taking their kids to go and see the Buzz Lightyear movie because they loved Toy Story growing up I felt like that could be a, and then a way rejecting it violently <laughs> and going like what the hell is this <laughs> banana <laughs> what is this shit? <laughs> yeah, you got, got Buzz Lightyear over here kind of going, what if you make the wrong choice and you're missing your whole life by skipping ahead all these four years and then you are your own enemy and you have to defeat yourself and learn to to kind of let go but also trust your instincts and then you've got the minions just going, banana, <laughs> and like hitting yeah. each other over the head. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So you, you say all that sort of stuff and even though that opening few lines is it works for what the film is doing. Given what the film is, at no point am I believing that, okay, this is the film that Andy became obsessed with. This yeah. is the film that it became his favourite film. Also, given all of that. It also doesn't entirely feel like the film that sparked that toy. Even though he says a lot of the lines that the toy says, it mm. doesn't feel like that toy... I mean, you know, a lot of toys aren't very good representations of their movies, but it doesn't mm. feel like a good representation of this character in that toy. Yeah. But um, this is the See, epic nit nitpicking. This, this makes my point, Dad. This is mm. why I want a Woody movie. All right? I want to mm. see a snake in his boots. <laughs> but you don't, you don't like snakes. I know I don't like snakes, but, you know, a, a CG snake should be fine. Okay. I'll be okay. Right. Right. You know, how does he get out of that? There's a snake in your boots, Woody. What are you going to do? If you're a kid watching this movie... The toy that you want at the end of this movie is Socks, Socks the Cat, yes. <laughs> who is just an absolute delight in this yeah. film. I loved all the Socks. And stuff. Derek, I loved Derek. There's there's a guy in this movie where the robots, you know, they'll be talking fairly normally, and then every now and again they say a word in a computerized fashion. So when when Derek's doing the uh, drawing the map for them, he goes, "You will go left, and then you will go south, and then yeah. you will go." Just, every yeah. single time they do it, three also, times in a row, each time. Oh, also, south to two stoplights. It's like, yeah. why do you why do you have stoplights, guys? Best what, what Derrickson's a good place. Uh, I'm saying, yeah, I I, I loved socks. Uh, I love socks. I love socks. The concept. Yeah. I love socks. The uh, the what do you call them? Robot cat. Yeah, robot cat. But what the things you put in your feet? Socks. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Thought we could clear that one up. Uh, but yeah, Socks is fantastic. Another in-house Pixar voice that, that yeah. kind of just stayed the distance, which is good. Maybe they shouldn't just cast famous people. <laughs> Maybe they should just get like Eileen from the canteen to voice. I mean, someone. not to be on brand, but I did think Chris Evans was quite good casting for the character though. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. That's one of the things I was going to ask you. What did, okay, so you're obviously in the tank. This, you're in the Yeah, Evans I mean, obviously, tank. I'm obviously in the tank, but I, but I did think he did, he did a, he walked a fine line of, um, you know, having that sort of slightly Kirk-esque, vainglorious, you know, I'm, so tough space rangery energy to him mm. um, but equally being a little bit more introspective than the toy version would be so it kind of felt like okay there, there's a sort of connective tissue between this and Tim Allen's buzz but without it feeling slavish and it did feel like you know suddenly like Tim Allen is the what do you call Tom Hanks's brother who does the Toy Story toys 
Uh, uh, Tim. I'm going to call him Chet <laughs> Hanks, but he's not. But um, but but Tom Hanks's brother, I believe, does mm-hmm. the Toy Story toys, and this oh. feels like Tim Allen is like Chris Evans's brother, and he does the toy version. You know. Okay little bit. Chris Evans, yeah. Okay, what about you guys? Where do you stand now? Because there are two Chris Evans questions in this. Uh, mm-hmm. Obviously, he's amazing. Does an incredible job. Unimpeachable. We're not going to criticise that, obviously. Uh, but do you think that they should have cast someone other than Tim Allen? And you could, you know, you could have conversations all day long about Tim Allen and uh, what's, you know, and off-screen shenanigans, all that sort of stuff. But yeah. he's in the Santa Clauses, you know, so clearly yeah. he's in the Disney fold. Mm-hmm. Should they have just kept continuity or did they go down the road of going you know what, the voice of the toy is never the voice of the movie, so we can recast, we can get someone like a Chris Evans. And do you think also that Chris Evans should have voiced older Buzz? Or were you happy with their choice to go with yeah. someone like a, well, someone like James Brolin, which is who they cast? I don't mind them switching it up. I think this story is different enough to the Toy Story movies we know that that's a decision that I'm fine with. In terms of Chris Evans, I'm, I'm mixed on it. At times, like when when it comes to voice casting, the way I sort of test it is it, if I can subconsciously. Not everyone can be Kevin Conroy. I'm on. <laughs> <laughs> we all know where this is leading. Or Peter Cullen. Um, yes, or James Earl Jones, in fact. But, <laughs> but your your list of underpants is growing larger. <laughs> uh, the way I sort of rate voice acting, if I can subconsciously. Consciously. <laughs> like not remember that oh this person is voiced by that person as I'm watching it if I can't do that then the voice acting is probably not working for me and there were times when I could watching this movie and there were times where like okay that's definitely Chris Evans so I'm a bit mixed on it um, but surely you do you divorce Tom Hanks from, from Woody do you divorce Tim Allen I mean yeah, literally the to, first to Pixar degree. movie was big big mega star voice casting right off the bat. I mean, it was for adults, but I don't think kids gave a toss. Mm. And, you know, I think there's an entire generation of kids who grew up on that's Woody's voice. And that guy sounds like Woody when they see him in other things. Right. You know, so I I don't know that they have kind of overshadowed the characters to that degree, maybe. Yeah. For me, so many of the early Pixar movies like it's only really in more recent years and even now I kind of can't remember half of them who does the voices because it is just the characters of of the Toy Story movies or of the, the Toy Story movies of mm-hmm. Monsters Inc is um John Goodman and can't pull it off the top of my head who does Mike Wazowski Billy Crystal Billy Crystal yeah because that means less to me than this just being Mike Wazowski Bugs Life who does a voice of Flick I genuinely don't know I genuinely don't know who that is Dave Foley I don't know who that is. Mm-hmm. And we all know who is does he a the Foley voice of Hopper, right? Who, 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 voice of Hopper in that movie? Uh, yeah, we, we, we don't. No? We don't know that. No, we don't, we no, don't, we don't know that. No, really? nobody knows that. Really? No, it's a mystery. <laughs> Pretty big star, Helen. No, I don't think so. <laughs> two Oscars. <laughs> don't think so. Hmm, interesting. Okay, well, I'll, I'll, I'll Google that one. <laughs> I seem to have forgotten the temporarily, but I'm on. So, so you know, you, you, we know it's Tom Hanks. You can't, def- can you divorce Tom Hanks from Woody? So many poorly d- chosen words in that sentence. <laughs> Yeah, I can. Okay, but you couldn't divorce Chris Evans from Buzz. At times I could, and at times I was like, ah, I like, that's Chris Evans. I'm I'm listening to Chris Evans voicing this character. You could see him in the booth. Yeah, essentially shirtless from the you know, 
oiled. All right. Only all in right. Helen's mind. Stop, you know, <laughs> stop giving away my fan art, please. Thank you. But then again, maybe that is us watching it as adults now and yeah. knowing who Chris Evans is, having watched hours and hours and hours of him playing Steve Rogers and other things that he's done and being able to pick out that voice that for a kid watching it, they're not going to be thinking, they're probably not even going to be thinking that's Captain America mm. because they didn't really Even though this is push. another man out of time. Right? <laughs> There's a lot of connective tissue and the whole point, it it's, makes sense to me that they go, okay, let's take the guy who's Captain America and have him play the hero astronaut, the American hero astronaut. That makes total sense. Mm -hmm. And yet at the same time, it feels like they didn't make a massive selling point in of this movie being it's Chris Evans as Buzz Lightyear. Mm. Again, it feels part of the confused genesis of the whole thing that like it makes sense to swap it for an A-list star who has this role that is so incredibly like patriotic American hero guy and put him as the lead of this film. But then they didn't really push that as an angle when it was mm. coming out, it felt like. And I think for me... One of the things with Chris Evans as this character and with this different version of this character is Helen says it's kind of correct that you've got in Toy Story, he is a kind of self-serious character. The joke of it is that he is like self-serious at all times and he's always on mission and he but he's actually just a toy. The reality yeah. of it is that he's just a toy and he's out of place. And I think they do replicate that here, that he is a self-serious astronaut guy. But when you take out the joke that he's just a toy, like that is almost the essence who, of what Buzz Lightyear is. is. Mm -hmm. And yeah. I think when you take him out of that context and just have him in a serious adventure, it it fits with the character, but I think it takes quite a lot of the fun out. I think you get the fun in this film from the supporting characters, from things like Socks. That's why that's there, because it gives it a bit of life and a bit of light in a way that Buzz Lightyear just being a serious guy in a serious movie, yeah. it's an interesting idea, but that inherently felt kind of flawed to me. It feels almost like they could have gone, they could have pushed it further and had, you know, if they're just going, to, okay, this isn't totally working for kids. So let's just make it for older kids, young adults, and dickheads who do podcasts. <laughs> and then, we, you know, we can maybe push it a little bit tonally darker. I mean, there's a lot of reference points from really, really dark, classic sci-fis of the 60s and 70s and 80s. Mm. So maybe they could have gone down that and way. why not the 90s? Ah! <laughs> <laughs> but that's the thing that I was really excited about going into this, and it did give me some of that, is that it looked like Pixar doing Star Wars. And obviously, Star Wars, in a big way, is for kids. It is for people growing up, but it's also for that like slightly older generation of kids, and you can have some darker stuff and some a bit of dan real danger and threat in there. And... With I think doing like Pixar does proper adventure sci-fi with some quite heady ideas and some big spectacular action stuff would really work. I think there mm -hmm. is a version of that that if they pushed even to like a hard PG, this is, feels like, I think this was a PG, but it feels like a bit of a soft PG. It was, mm -hmm. still feels like a young to like just middle kids age movie. And I think it just missed that mark. It misses that identity and ends up feeling, as I said before, split between having some quite big ideas that's going to go over a younger audience's head, but also being a bit too simple and straightforward. There's a whole chunk in the middle that just, I, I was feeling snoozy mm -hmm. yeah. in the middle of this, which is a shame to feel in a Pixar movie. Okay, but let's talk about uh, some of the stuff. I mean, you talk about some of the big ideas that really connect. And I talked to Angus McLean and Galen Sussman about this, about 
you know, there are, there are several messages and several themes in this movie, and there are several messages to take away from this movie. But the message, of, you know, I would say you would usually take away from a Pixar film, or, or or most animated films, is you know the magic was within you all along. You can do it. Just believe in yourself. And there's an element of that, obviously. You know, Izzy, her arc is about believing in herself mm-hmm. ultimately. Buzz, the takeaway I got from Buzz was obviously play well with others. You know, which is a bit of a control freak. You know, you have. I've had to learn to stop doing that, please. Uh, I've, had to, I've had to learn to. Have you learned? Sorry, I don't know. I don't know. Can you, can you do it again, please, Helen? Can you just have you learned, but from the top. No laughter, please. It's a tight editing point. Uh, but you know, yeah. But there's there's something in there about being a control freak and playing nice with others. Yes, but also there's this idea about it's okay to fuck up. It's okay to fail. Which is I don't recall that being in many Pixar movies. Maybe Monsters Inc. The weird thing is this is like a Pixar motto, fail early, fail often. That is how they get to the good stuff. Like it's it's literally kind of one of the mantras, like Andrew Stanton says it all the time. And and so the, the value of failure as a point of growth is something that they absolutely take on and consider important. And, and they haven't foregrounded it in one of their films to this extent before. They've talked about creativity a lot. They've talked mm-hmm. about, you know, following your your dreams and, and leaning into what you are passionate about. They've, they've done that stuff a lot. They haven't talked about this idea of failure being important, being the way that you grow, the way that you learn. You know, and I think that's what the difference is between Hawthorne and and Buzz, like she is like, okay, we failed. Now what do we do? And he can't move on. He mm-hmm. then in that in that moment of crisis when they break the crystal in the first place, she's like, all right, we do the next thing. And he's like, but I have to, I have to put this thing right. This is what all of my focus will be on for the next eighty years. To the you point know? he completely torpedoes his life. Yeah. yeah. For the sake exactly. of that one thing. I mean, he, you know, he's covering up a lot of shit there, isn't he? <laughs> and I think that's kind of a, a really healthy message to to give to people. It is important to be able, you know, it's 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 the dark night, isn't it? Or it's it's Batman Begins. What do we do when we fall? Mm-hmm. Get back up kind of stuff. Never. <laughs> I think that is something that Pixar has done, especially in the last 10 or 15 years, is give you, like not your typical movie message give you less the like yay everyone can do anything thing than something maybe a bit more realistic and honest than that like Monsters University the entire point of Monsters University is hey that one thing that you really want to do you might not be able to do that and you have to deal with that fact and maybe you have to find something else and you'll find fulfillment in something else that you didn't know you wanted to do, but it's not the thing you always dreamed of. Even going back to Incredibles, if everybody's special, nobody's special. Mm-hmm. So it's yeah. not the, oh yeah, you're wonderful, everybody's wonderful, and normal like in, good message. And soul, the mm-hmm. big fulfilling moments of life that you think are going to be the best thing ever might not be the things that sustain you and it's all the little moments along the way that make life worth living. They don't, they're not giving you the sugar-coated versions of things in these Pixar movies and I think I was really hooked early on in Lightyear with that thing of he keeps going off to do the mission and he skips four years of his life and he's just like missed his whole life he's missed being on this planet with all of these people who are just getting on with life and having a civilization and his friends and kids being born and all Mm. of that I found that really emotionally impactful and I was really hooked in and it felt like a bit of a shame. I think the film lost that thread yep. of, hey, instead of being so focused on the mission that you just miss your whole life, maybe just 
deal with stop situations and stop and yeah. be with the people that you care about while you can because that's the thing that matters. Then how much of it is him running because he, he wants SP to fulfill his mission because he thinks that's what he's got to do and how much of it is him just running in panic and terror once he comes back and realises that he's done four years then he does it again knowingly and he's missed eight years and then suddenly it's like oh shit okay so I'm, I'm, I don't like this I've got to just keep missing this I've got mm. to. I've got to. Uh, so, like for him, it's what a few days, mm. and then like everyone he knows and loves and likes and respects, including Featherin Mim Stan, <laughs> all dead, all dead. Oh, it's such a really bold, ambitious, bleak. There's your, there's your big wild swings, I guess. Yeah, no, the first thirty minutes of this are really, really strong, um, and much better than I gave it credit for at the time. Uh, revisiting this, I was like, huh, this is really, really good. But then. As you say, as you, as you both said, um, the sort of appealing to the younger uh, target target market, they pivot to that in a sense in the second part of this. And I just think you've lost them by that point. I think, I think you've yeah. lost them. You know what I mean? It's like yeah. I think they're they're either they're in the next screen watching Minions or they're just not mm-hmm. paying attention. I think you know. So I, I think you just keep going with the the bold ambitious stuff. Yeah. I mean, but, how did, if you compare this to you know this this kind of time passing montage to Married Life. And that's perhaps unfair as one of the all-time great montages in animated cinema. But at the same time, if you're cinema, it, I would say, but, yeah. But at the same time, if you're if you're talking about you know something that communicates something about these characters mm-hmm. and gets across a huge amount of history in a very short space of time and doesn't actually linger long enough to let the kids get bored, Married Life is pretty perfect for that. This, I, I don't think it does all of that at once. I don't think it's going to keep the kids on board in the same way. Mm even though it kind of should, in theory, on paper. I think that's why when you do pivot away from that part of the story and you team buzz up with that other kind of band of recruits, mm-hmm. that's the stuff that to me felt overly simple. And it the, the dialogue and the characterization of those other recruits, I was just getting nothing from them in the way that I was getting something real and complex from the early relationships Buzz has in this film. Mm-hmm. And I think that's what feels kind of a bit jarring, disappointing, because the first half hour feels surprisingly complex and grown up. But I think one of the weakest parts of this, I don't mind a simple adventure plot if the characterization is really good, but I felt like all of those characters, including, like, we love Taika Waititi, but the Taika character felt like like low-tier Taika. It felt a bit out of place, I think, with everything else going on. And I think I didn't really enjoy spending time with those characters in the way that you kind of need to. I think structurally it's a very bold movie in that... The first half hour introduces you to one character that you really go through the movie with, and then everyone else kind of fades away. Then the second, the second third is introducing us to this adventure, this adventure, action adventure, sci-fi movie template, uh, and then Serg, the big reveal of Serg, comes about forty minutes from the end, and that, and then it shifts gear and it becomes something else again, a little bit more action adventure again, yes. Uh, but, you know, a little bit more reflective, a little bit more philosophical also. So I think it's interesting in those ways. Mm. And I think those are really bold swings. I, I, I had some issues with some of what I felt was fairly by the numbers screenwriting in terms of things like setups and payoffs. You know, I think when I was watching it again last night, he must say, ah, oh, I hate autopilots 75 times <laughs> in the first 10 minutes. Yeah. And I, I think I texted you guys this, mm-hmm. but you know, if, you know, if you were literally watching this movie for the first time, and it was your it was your first time watching any movie ever, and you had no idea about setups and payoffs, 
you watch the first 10 minutes of this movie, you could turn to someone and go, you know what? I think he's going to like Autopilot by the end of this film. I've just got a hunch. I've got a hunch. And the, the thing with the pen, nicely mm-hmm. done, but, you know, just a, a little bit more obvious. You could see the mechanics in yeah. place a little bit more clearly than you could yeah. before. It did get to a point where it felt very engineered. Like yeah. a lot of this film felt very, very engineered rather mm-hmm. than feeling... Like it flowed organically. You know, sometimes we go back and we can deconstruct these films, but when you're watching it for the first time, the, the you know, the, the clockwork is hidden under the skin, if you like. Yeah. I'm mixing metaphors. Anyway, um, <laughs> but with this one, it was really all on the surface. It was yeah. very steampunk that way. Yeah. But wow. I do like the, the first 30 minutes. They did take a couple of beats to show you a loving lesbian relationship uh, mm-hmm. where the uh, black women uh, in animation you don't often see that um, and unfortunately because of that it's been the target of some backlash in certain parts of the world from certain people who will not be named on this podcast um, but I no, did like name them one by one <laughs> let's do it um, but I did like the fact that they took the time to do that it felt sig- more significant and meaningful than other instances where Disney have tried doing this in the past Still baby steps. At least they are at the point now of not cutting these things for international mm-hmm. release. Um, I, I believe they, they, they said cut at the this time. and then they put it back in. Really? Yeah. Uh, come on. <laughs> come I know. on. But yeah, there's a, there's a lot to really get into with mm. this movie that I thought was was really great and really imaginative and really bold. And it just seems a bit of a shame to me that. I think the middle third of the movie is fine. It's okay. And I really bought into Izzy's storyline, I think, more Mm. than the other guys. She's really charming. She's super, super charming. Kiki Palmer, fantastic. Always, always likable. Just got got such a good good energy about her. But like, again, yeah, I I did feel like we, we, we lost time there with stuff like the, the, the cones of silence, you know, the, the, Mm. the, prison cone things and the like, spider things and the spider like it was a, it was there was okay ideas but they took a long time to play out those action scenes and i didn't think that they were funny maybe enough to 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 warrant the, the time on screen that they were given so little things like that i just would have liked to have maybe if we tightened that up made me given a little bit more room for for kind of character stuff and i get that there's a character element there that you know they weren't able to escape the cones when Buzz actually worked with other people that he has to learn to depend on others and not just on himself. That's a good lesson. But again, I wonder if there was just a slightly quicker and more elegant way of telling it. Mm. All right, real quick, because we've got to go. Uh, did anyone spot a Pizza Planet? Mm-mm. Nope. Did anyone spot an A113 reference? No, I like that Izzy's suit was number 42, but no, I didn't spot A113. Where was I this time? No idea. Okay. Uh, <laughs> did anyone spot? Uh, what do we think of the, you know, the way that Prey, for example, had, if it bleeds, we can kill it. Mm-hmm. Did we like the way that Buzz said various buzzy catchphrases and they came up with two infinity and beyond? Were you, were you happy with the explanation of that in the end? Yeah. now it's interesting we were talking about sort of this film in relation to the Toy Story movies and uh, the actual toy when you hear that phrase in those movies it's a triumphant thing here is a bit of a sort of a sad melancholy aspect to it that's this movie this movie's sad and melancholy yeah Um, which is interesting but I think it really worked I, I loved that friendship between uh, Buzz and Commander Hawthorne, um, voiced very well by Uzo Adaba. And that phrase, it took on more of a deeper meaning that I enjoyed in the context of this film. 
at the same time, for me, it kind of confirms this film as the solo A Star Wars story of <laughs> Toy Story movies <laughs> in that it is based in a world that I love with characters who I have a lot of attachment to that I think is perfectly fine. It doesn't make me feel very much. It's not bad. And I think it shows that, hey, a baseline, I guess it's all right, Pixar movie is still like a solid, good movie mm-hmm. in a realm where, hey, from quite a few other studios, like a bad animated movie is not a great way to spend 90 minutes. This is a perfectly decent way to spend 90 minutes. But like Solo, A Star Wars Story, it's something you come into going like, do we need this? Why does this exist? How does this work? To me, it still feels kind of tangential canon-wise. It's Mm. there if you want it, but also I don't embrace it in Mm. the same way as I do the rest of the stories in these two worlds Um, and at the same time the way that it kind of crowbars in some of those phrases and gives you like hey that's the thing that you know it's like I'm I'm fine with that but I didn't need that you know it's it's that's not the one for me hindsight is obviously 2020 and all of this but I remember tweeting at the time after I watched it how do you look at turning red and look at Lightyear and say, Turning Red is the one we're going to put straight to Disney Plus and Lightyear is the one we're going to give. I can see it, I can see it. I can see it. This is the big Toy Story affiliated (sighs) movie with Chris Evans and, you know, but the simple answer is they should all have been in the cinemas. They should, they should. I, I do think it's a general problem in Hollywood right now. I think people saying there's no new ideas, there's no fresh, no originality are dead wrong there's absolutely huge amounts of originality and fresh ideas what there are are people at the top of various studios who are massively conservative and terrified of those new ideas Mm -hmm. and that originality and you know I think you see that in House of the Dragon I think you see that to an extent in Lord of the Rings I think you see that here I think you see it everywhere right now and Mm. and and they're, they're killing the golden goose. Um, A113, by the way, is, and I did spot it the first time I watched it and I didn't see it last night, is opposite Alicia's office, on the building opposite her office. You can see it marked on the on the wall. Right. And uh, the Pizza Planet track is when is during one of the chase scenes. But it All is right. there in the background. I'll go and check it out. Good, um, good, good because we got to go. Yeah. Helen, <laughs> yes. time travel, timey-wimey shit, all good? I mean, terror, no, it doesn't make any sense, but I'm here for it anyway, yeah. Yeah, I, I really like that. Four years, four minutes. Yeah, brilliant. Yeah, I like, mm. get to see people live and die and oh, that grow that old. bit that bit was kind of cool. Um, but it was more the uh, older buzz. Older buzz that was nah. confusing to me, but okay. Yeah, because then should there be loads of older buzzes, right? Or is it just mm. he's the one who succeeded, so therefore he branches off from the timeline? I think that's and, it. Yeah, mm. the right. buzz who remains. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, how does that work? Why do I leave this to the very end to, to discuss this? Because <laughs> now I'm thinking about it, it makes no sense. Like none. None. Mm-mm. Mm-mm. Hmm. Anyway, should we go and discuss that off mic <laughs> over a nice meat bread meat mm. sandwich? Oh, by the way, my favorite thing. I love the hydrate. You know the hydrator thing in mm-hmm. um, in Back to the Future Two, where they put the mm-hmm. yeah. Oh my god, the thing where they get the meat. Uh, they get their meat and their vegetables and mm-hmm. they just in a plastic box and then just shake and it. Just shake it and then it, oh. I prefer the uh, the microwave in The Fifth Element, but still my favourite. Ah, chicken, oh. good. <laughs> my favourite is Ray's bread in The Force mm, Awakens. Right. Oh. The portion, and she puts the water on it and it goes whoop, into a little loaf. Yeah. Filling. Yes. I want to go to Wakanda and see what kind of food they're, they're cooking. What up is there. the food? like? You know, there's a, I think I sent, did I send you a picture of this? I don't think so. The official <laughs> Wakanda cookbook. You did then yeah. submit, yeah, I do remember. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah, we should buy that. We should buy that and get into it. 100%. Whenever we do the Black Panther Wakanda Forever spoiler special, we should be eating like kings. And, and of course, queens. Thanks. <laughs> <Indeed>. <laughs> anyway, on that note, that is it for our Lightyear spoiler special. 
why do we get into the big timey-wimey stuff when we have no time? <laughs> I need to get time. Irony. I need Irony. to go forward uh, to make this work. Uh, our next supporter special is going to be something. And it's time now to say goodbye to my three colleagues of such lethal cunning. Amon Warman. Michael Kachina's score is very good. Oh, how did... <laughs> had to happen. We need to do another 45 minutes. Infinite Motion, great track. It is good, isn't it? I like, oh, he's mm-hmm. good. he knows what he's doing. Mm. Ben Travis. It's not Pixar failing, it's falling with style. <laughs> <laughs> goodbye. Good. Goodbye. It's goodbye from Helen O'Hara. To infinity. That's far enough. Oh. <laughs> but yeah, hey, listen. I wouldn't want to go beyond infinity. Things go mad. That's what Event Horizon's all about. Precisely. (laughs) Precisely. Oh my God, is this an Event Horizon prequel? (laughs) Five stars in for Lightyear, do you see? Anyway, it's goodbye for me. I'm off to weep for the late, lamented, probably never, ever planned Woody prequel. And I'm also sad about the the prequel that would have been told from the point of view of the snake. And his famous line, there's a Woody in my boots. Because from his point of view, there'd no, be... No, I see what you're saying. Yeah. <laughs> Please stop. Would he think it was his boot if he's not got feet? Possession is nine-tenths of the law, especially Again, if as you're your a snake. No, yeah. that's not the That's case. pretty much it. Uh, okay. Anyway, so many poorly chosen words this entire podcast. <laughs> what a buzzkill. Thanks for listening. See you next time. Bye. 